Hey, Sarah. Yes, Josh? Are you ready? I think so. Great. But before we start, we here at the Puppa Pod, along with Dixon Place, stand with love in solidarity with Black, Indigenous, and persons of color in our communities and across the country against racism, white supremacy, and police brutality. And for more information and specifics on our respective anti-racism statements and plans of action, please visit DixonPlace.org and ShakeOnTheLake.org to find out how we're listening, learning, and working within our communities. Black Black Lives Lives Matter. Matter. Hi, my name is Dia Ogawa, and I think puppetry is about connecting what you see and what you think inside. Puppetry is hard because the puppet is heavy, and you're only holding it with your arms sometimes. And you also have to be hidden sometimes, and so our bodies are always in so much contact with other people, and it's uncomfortable sometimes. Painful! Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Puppet Pod, the podcast in which we take a primarily visual medium and transform it into an audio one. Does it make a whole lot of sense? I don't know, but at least we get to talk to all sort of incredible puppet artists about what they do in this crazy niche, sometimes weird world of puppetry. As always, with me, my trusty skipper. She's really the one that's running this entire ship. Can I call you a skipper? Is a skipper a good thing to call you? Sure. I love me some nautical terms. It's summer. so. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah Stabley, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's sun shining. You know, I got new bike parts. Things are good. That is all very good things. I myself have shaved off my mustache. Thank God. Uh, it, it certainly was a different look and you know everyone's got their quarantine style that was mine i tried it out it wasn't me but you know uh, i appreciated the amount of patience people had in having to look at it (laughs) Uh, so that was really nice and i'm back in brooklyn for the first time since all of the events in the world went down in early march so it's nice to come back to my apartment here and also see people adjusting to this new world which you know has been there every day here but for me is the first time kind of seeing it so it's new and different and uh yeah happy to be back home nice feels nice yeah yeah the ants have not taken over as i thought they would so that's good and you don't have to worry about snakes there not here no that is correct however snake update For those of you uh, who may be tuning in for the first time to the Puppet Pod, we also talk about snakes, and in particular, one snake that somehow, and well, not somehow, I know exactly how, the neighbor (laughs) next door to my theater, where we do a lot of work up in Perry, New York, Theater at 37, they were trying to wrangle a California king snake, which was the pet of the neighbor upstairs. It escaped, got into the dance studio. She was trying to grab it to return it to said owner, and then it slithered under the door into my theater, and it has yet to be found. 
I was in there this past weekend doing some work, building a puppet, in fact. I was very careful to not step near any, like, piles, wondering that maybe it was, like, coiled up in a pile. Uh, wasn't in the toilet, which, again, is one of my great fears in life, is that a snake is going to come up from the toilet and, and attack me. Wasn't there. And I even went in the basement, the dark, moldy basement. There's a lot of mold, but no snakes. No snakes. So our friend Waldo is still missing. See, Josh is afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of the theater basement. That basement is terrifying. It's a murder basement, which is what we affectionately call it. Terrifying. And we call it that mostly because, one, it's just very dark, very spider webby. It is not finished. Dirt floor. Dirt floor. And if you go all the way toward the front of the building and you turn right, there's this very weird... I don't know. I call it a clean room for anybody that's ever seen the TV show Dexter, like about the serial killer. He like has this like surgical room that's like all white and very like sterile and clean that you would like perform surgeries in, except he does murders in it. Anyway, there's a room like that in this basement with like a drain in the middle of the floor. It's all white. I don't know why. This is in this space. Uh, there was a butcher that like was in the building before I took it over and made it a theater. And before that, it was like a five and dime store. But why either of those two places uh, would need a murder room down in the basement, I, I couldn't say, Sarah. Well, I think the butcher would be kind of obvious, but it's fine. Why would you butch in a basement and like carry meat and exposing it to like the mold particles? Because... Obviously, you're doing shady stuff with your butchering. No, no, no. I, I don't know. It, what, what also makes that room weird is because, again, the rest of the basement is unfinished. But this room has, like, white walls and white laminate flooring and one stupid scary light bulb hanging from the ceiling. And it's just terrifying. Murder room in the murder basement. So anyway, we got a great guest today. <laughs> Felt like a nice moment to move on, I think. King of the non sequiturs. But no, we do have a great guest. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine, I'm lucky to say. And um, I have done a number of puppet shows, puppet performances, theater uh, featuring puppets uh, with this artist. So thrilled to be able to talk to her and talk about... All things puppetry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Leah Ogawa. Leah, how are you? Hello. Hello. <laughs> how's, um, how's life for you in Texas? You're coming to us from Houston, Texas. Is that right? Yes, correct. But I feel like I have to say something about your snake. Oh, yes. Please address the snake. No, no, no. I, it's just that I've been seeing a lot of snakes here. Oh, I see. Uh, it, but it's a, you know, just garden snake. But yeah. So I just make a lot of noise before I walk. <laughs> I see. Do you, do you feel like maybe because of the pandemic that because a lot of people aren't out like, you know, trundling around in nature, there's not a lot of cars, maybe like snakes are just you know, feeling more brave to come out and, like, be in the spaces that we're not supposed to be in? What, I don't, what do you think? Uh, where I am, I think it's more on the 
not the city. So I think these snakes are like just doing their own thing. Just living that snake life. Just living their snake life. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're here to talk about your expertise about snakes. <laughs> I just felt like, oh, this is your before I come on, you're talking about snakes and then your basement. And I'm just remembering, oh, yeah, I do remember that basement, that one light that is yeah. pretty scary. Um, yeah. But thank you for having me. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I've never done this. So I'm excited to talk to you guys. Well, we're um, we're figuring this out ourselves, and we are excited to talk to you too, Leah. So, I guess like the first thing I want to ask you is, how have you been um, occupying yourself during this quarantine time? Uh, what have you been doing to keep busy? I so since I came to Houston, I decided every day I make a short animation. Oh. And that was just a project for myself. And I, I still do it. But I, because I wanted to work on storytelling in a simple way. And stop motion, it takes a lot of time. So to say your story without, a wor- without using words, like I was curious to how, how can I do that? You know, and also I wanted to improve because um, I love improvising. But sometimes the story is missing mm, yeah. for my for my own process when I make stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna make stop motion every day, and that's one thing I know it's gonna be consistent. And then the rest, I came here. I don't know. Everything is new. Was new. So yeah, just yeah. trying to. Okay, I'm gonna live here. So. Yeah, and for people that don't know, you're not from Houston, nor do you typically live in Houston. Oh, no. No. So I little bit, well, my background is that I grew up in, I was born in Hachioji. So that I'm sure you, I'm assuming, talked about that place with Tom Lee. We we talked maybe a little bit about it with Tom Lee, but Hachioji is in Japan for people yeah, that don't Japan. know. I've never heard of Hachioji, which is our, our mutual friend, Koryu-san, our Koryu Nishikawa V, who is uh, an incredible teacher and puppeteer, a master puppeteer, is no exaggeration, is from Hachioji, and he calls it a small town. Yeah. And he even calls it the country, but could you describe Hachioji maybe uh, in your experience of it? So the thing is, so I was born in Hachioji, so that's in Tokyo. And then I moved to a prefecture next to Tokyo called Yamanashi. And that literally means mountains. Mm. Yama means mountains. So we're known for the nature and the scenery. So for me, coming born in Hachioji, yay! And then I go to the countryside, Yamanashi, like for us, we always went to Hachioji because that was like a city. But the city people, like inner city, like Shinjuku, like Shibuya, where, you know, I think in the movies, you see the Shibuya crossing where a lot of people are crossing. That is more inner Tokyo and Hachioji is outside of that. So people think Hachioji is like a, countryside but it's still a city for me who was like 
when like living in top of the mountain, you know, girl, <laughs> we always went to Hachoji because that was like a city. But yeah, like a lot of Tokyo people think, oh, you live in Hachoji, you're more on the countryside. Yeah, I uh, when I first got to go to Japan and, and work with Sensei in Hachioji, he always talked about how it was, you know, very quiet, very like the countryside. countryside. And, <laughs> yeah, and uh, there are like incredible mountains and, and beautiful parks, and it is really yeah. lovely, but it's also very densely populated. And, yeah, and, for sure. Um, you know, it, it certainly feels like a city in the way that a city does with, you know, houses very close to one another and properties very close to one another. But uh, yeah, it, it always just struck me funny as a, because I'm a person that, as you know, comes from a very, very rural place in Perry, New York, um, where you've also been. And that for me is like, doesn't get much more country mm. than a place where there are more cows than people <laughs> and farms everywhere. So, yeah, it was always funny to me when Sensei compared his, his countryside, yeah. his hometown as the country. And I was like, oh, that's a different kind of country than country what I'm used to. But yeah. I appreciate it and I like it. Um, so, Leah, uh, what was it like for you then growing up in Japan where puppetry is so ingrained in the culture and has yeah. been a part of it for, you know, thousands of years mm -hmm. was that something that you were exposed to growing up or did you have to seek it out or can you tell us kind of how puppetry first came into your consciousness yeah so i think when i was in japan and it's funny because i don't remember any puppetry yeah. in japan like as growing up and also i grew up more on the countryside and but there is puppet uh, puppet groups near my town too like on the countryside that i didn't know existed mm. so but it's interesting because i went to sarah lawrence and then i met all these puppet artists and then i was talking to my mom and i was like yes i think i want to do puppetry and then my mom was like oh, you don't remember your experience in elementary school Koryu sensei came to your school. I was like, oh boy. And I was like, I don't remember. But Koryu san, I did see him, but I don't remember. But my mom remembers it a lot. Yeah. And I guess for me, it's like I not necessarily growing up in Japan saw puppetry, but I knew it existed. And also the connection we have with dolls. Yeah. In particular, like Children's Day or Girls Day. Like for Girls' Day, we have this really beautiful dolls that we present, uh, like we put out in in the house. And I remember having that in all my friends' house did, all my friends did, and we did too. And so that kind of culture, I think, yeah, you, you can see, but I wasn't aware, like, you know, mm -hmm. really soaking in. Um, but then when I moved to this, to America, I actually went to, first I went to Boston. So eighth grade, I went to a Catholic school. And then high school, I went to inner city public school. And that's another experience I, um, anyway, not puppetry. But anyway, puppetry, <laughs> I 
I think I realized pub like okay, sorry, I'm going in a tangent, but what no, I this is all perfect, Leah. This is this is like <laughs> the best. Talk about whatever you like. Because how I did puppetry is like okay, Sarah Lawrence. At college, you look through your course book and you decide what kind of class you want to take. And there was this class called Bunraku style. And I was like, that's Japanese. And why is this foreign guy teaching this Japanese style? So I got curious. I was like, who? Yeah. You know, what's going to happen? And also a little bit ashamed that I was like, ooh, I don't know exactly what Bunraku is. You know, I know the tradition that existed, but besides that, like I never went to see it. I right. never, you know, no one talks about traditional art. You know, if you live right. in uh, in uh, in Japan, and especially now, because traditional art is passed down by your blood, and if you're not in the family, it's difficult to really get into. To that tradition and know what it's like to be a performer or you know that kind of culture mm -hmm. so it was really so i didn't know much about it um so when i went to interview dan's class he's like dan hurlin dan hurlin sorry dan yes. hurlin Yes, Papa Puppet. We everybody Puppet. that we've talked to <laughs> always has like their Dan Hurlin story. Yeah, I mean it's him for me too. That he was like, oh, so you're gonna? I was like, I'm from Japan. Literally, I remember saying this. I was like, I'm from Japan. Um, I don't know my tradition, so I can't, I want to learn more about it and know learn what puppetry is. And then from that, I took his class. And he taught, you know, Bernalaku style and how the words, you know, mattered about saying it, this style. Yeah, can and, you explain a little bit about that for people that maybe don't know about the Bunraku National Theater in Osaka yes. and why we have to refer to it in this certain way and then like right. what the form actually is called in Japanese? Oh, oh, well, okay, so Bunraku, I think, well, okay, so it's like you, like Josh said, it's a tradition, the National Theater of Bunraku is in Osaka, and it's basically three puppeteers doing, uh, manipulating one puppet, and all the stories are written in the old times, so it's traditional storytelling, the shamisen player, which is an instrument. Uh, so the shamisen, shamisen player, so the, the musician and the narrator is on the side of the stage. Uh, so the narrator is called the Taiyu, is that right? Taiyu, yeah. And then so the musician and narrator playing as the puppet is moving on stage uh, with the three puppeteers. So all of these stories are traditional stories that's passed down. And um, in America, people call it Bunraku style, or at least people say Bunraku style because if there's three puppeteers and you're manipulating one puppet, then people call that a Bunraku style because the essence of Bunraku is three puppeteers in one puppet. Yeah. So I'm not explaining it really well. What I mean is they call it Bunraku style because they're only taking the part 
that is three puppeteers manipulating the one puppet. And if you want to go into the whole detail about how in Japan, okay, like if you just touch one puppet for one hour, you don't become a master. Okay, I think there's a lot of puppeteers. I mean, I'm still learning. Yeah. I'm still learning, but these traditional art, like puppeteer artists in Japan, I have so much respect. In any tradition that is passed down, they work every day, nonstop. And I'm sure, I don't know, some of these people who are listening already knows, but you're gonna, if you're, you know, in Bunraku in Japan, before touching the puppet, you have to start doing the cleanings first. You know, you start from the bottom. Yeah. And then you start cleaning, taking care of everybody. For after and you observe, right? You observe. Clean, you do the work, you observe, you take care of the master puppeteers, but you just watch, right? Watch, yeah. There's not a lot of, I think, direction. There's a lot of watching and being patient and really observe like know the story of the text and really see what each puppeteer is doing. There's value in that that I really, like I really like and I, I take away from that. And then, yeah. And then after that, you finally touch the puppet, but you will do the feet for 15 years and go up to the arm and then Someday, I shouldn't say someday, one day, the head puppet, <laughs> uh, head control, you can touch, you know, but every day, like, it's interesting because there is some choreography into the story and traditional movement that the puppet do that each body part has to, to know. Mm-hmm. That's how you know. Like, I remember Koryu Sensei telling me, like, when you learn your, the feet, you learn the story over and over again. And you, you, you know, and so by the time you get to the head, you already know each body parts in a way. So you're like movement, you're connecting everything. And yeah, that's one. <laughs> so that's, yeah. yeah. And you're not exaggerating when you say 15 years, just so our listeners know, like it's, that's not an exaggeration. Well, I think, I mean, I actually, this is the sad part. I was going to go to Japan and um, perform for the Ida Festival. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to perform. My piece was like, they accepted and they say, I Your like piece molting? Uh, no, growing, not dying. I mean, oh, oh, wow. oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I was going to go to Ida. Um, there's a big puppet festival in Japan. And then a lot of people, puppeteer all over the world come. I goes to that festival and um, I was going to go, but because of the situation with the uh, COVID, um, the festival got canceled. Oh, man. I couldn't go. And that's to say that I actually never been to the Osaka National Theater. I know a little bit shame, not uh, not so good, but I wanted to go and I planned it. I haven't been, so I don't know exactly 15 or not, but that's what who that's what every puppeteer I talk to say, or at least 15. I think it depends. Yeah, I've heard somewhere between like seven years and 15 years of like watching. And then, you know, after that period, you get to move to the feet after another period of 
seven to 15 years, maybe they let you move to the hip and the arm. And then as Leah said, then maybe, maybe after another long period of time, maybe you get to be the head puppeteer. But that takes a lot of work and time. And like you said, you get to learn all the different parts of the choreography, which is really exciting if you eventually stay. But that observation process is so different, I think, from American ways of learning. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Um, because you've experienced both styles of theater making, but also kind of education in, in both countries. And I was just curious if you could tell us maybe a little bit about the the different ways that the education systems are different in Japan versus America and how that translates to puppetry and, and teaching puppetry. Yeah, I think ooh, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. But for me, my experience speaking in Japan, and I think that the education, you know, it's all about memorization and you do well in your test and you your path is pretty much set when you go to high school mm. you go to high school and by the time you enter you pick your college you want to go to and depending on what college you go to you already know what job you're going to get i remember a conversation with my friend in japan i went back to japan and everybody's like what are you doing leah but like what what exactly cuz originally i told my friends, I'm going to study art and theater and learn English. That's why I'm going to America. Anyway, so they kind of knew I was doing arts and theater. But then mm -hmm. when I told them I'm doing puppetry, because now that's more interesting to me, they were like, oh, why? why? But they were like, you know, it's so good that you're doing whatever you want to do. <laughs> and so that mentality of like i can do whatever i want to do i can say whatever i want to say yeah. i can question everything like that kind of mentality is is not in in everyone's mind mm. and so i because so i'm mixed and my mom is white my dad's japanese and so Coming when when I was in Japan, everybody was like, "Oh, you're there's a term called hafu, meaning half, like mm -hmm. half kids who are half foreigner and half Japanese." And everybody's like, "Oh, you're half, 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 half," and I was going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Anyway, like that, I did. I wasn't bullied for that, so I never like I knew I was different, but I didn't know what. Mm. And then I come to America. And um, everybody's like, you're Asian, you're Asian. Yeah. Because uh, they don't see it. So anyway, there's a, sorry, I'm talking about uh, other things racially, but I come. Uh, it's, an, it's okay. It's an important time to <laughs> be talking about these things. So it's, it's like I come to America and um, everybody's identify me as Asian, mm -hmm. a category that I was never enough to be part of in Japan. I was never Japanese enough to fully be qualified as being Japanese because I was mixed. But I come to America and people are like, oh, you're, you must be Asian or you must be this or you must be that. And that was like, whoa, this something happened. 
and you know and then so i started questioning like mm. what i represent in japan and also what i represent in america so that kind of that kind of thinking like i started questioning a lot of stuff so but that kind of idea and questioning started to happen because i left japan Mm-hmm. And I left that, oh, actually, I think being called half is actually a little bit offensive, a little bit in a way, you know, but I never thought about it like that, those kind of terms or or when people yell at, stare at me and like, you know, say mean thing, not mean, like, like call me out. Mm. I just like kept silence because as Japanese culture, it's a lot of keeping it silent mm. and you don't um you don't say what you want to say so so in that way american education is like a lot of opinions mm. and you say what you want to say yeah yeah and so that was a really big change for me and so i think especially i think maybe Josh too like when we taught or maybe like I teach a class in Japan the kids are a little bit more timid like I taught I visited Vietnam and my friend has a theater group and I volunteered to teach a puppetry workshop and um, it took some time to express how they were feeling yeah but there's more a lot to this than what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much to unpack about these sorts of things, but I certainly appreciate you sharing the stuff about identity and identity politics for you and what you've experienced because um, it's so different from my own. And, you know, it's certainly a transition, to say the least, to go from one country to another and kind of be expected to participate in these different ways and then how that has kind of manifested for you and how you view yourself and how you perceive others to view you and then how that translates to all these other parts of your life. It has to be so incredibly affecting and and challenging, it sounds like, too. Mm. Yeah. But I'm learning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And trying to see what, what I can do and... I yeah I don't know I yeah there's so much there's so much that I'm not saying <laughs> well uh say as much as you like and um yeah or or not and that's also okay you know I I, I certainly appreciate you know what what feels comfortable and um you know I certainly don't want you to say anything that makes you feel uncomfortable oh, but you no, know this is a, a conversation that could go on for years i think as well yeah right? i mean yeah. like yeah i mean i know i don't feel uncomfortable i think it's more like going into i i mean i have to say japan and other countries are you know opening it up more opening up in terms of like for say if we connect back to traditional art Mm. opening up more to people who are not blood related people and they're trying to pass down the tradition in that way you Mm -hmm. know and then so that is a nice way to see it continue and and there's other people who are also speaking up or 
realizing these things. Um, but I think, yeah, culturally, it's so different. Right, right. So, is um is strict like a a word that feels appropriate to describe? Maybe like some of the ways that you learn in in Japan, or some of these traditions are passed down. Strict. I think there's a lot of rules that you follow. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, and also I think in culture, in terms of just tradition, like you do this when you do this, like you when you you never speak in a certain way when you you、mm-hmm. know don't know the person. You there's a lot of manners manners that comes being respectful. I think yeah, that's a big、yeah. part of being respectful to other people, and there. I think there's a. I don't know if there's a saying in the English, but you know, if your nail comes out, you're gonna get kicked down with the hammer. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't don't pull a lot of attention from other people. Like, don't pull a lot of attention from other people. Like, don't be selfish. There's a lot、mm-hmm. of that too. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like you come last. Like make sure that the the people are happy around you. And so I think, yeah, that's also different. Yeah, it's certainly different from the Western way, where it's very,、um, in a lot of ways, individualistic and kind of、right. self, self first. You know, self <laughs> self oriented in a lot of ways. Leah, this is incredible.、Uh, we are going to take a quick, tiny little break,、okay. and we will come back and talk more with Leah Ogawa. As a listener of the Puppet Pod, have you ever wondered aloud to yourself, "How do I become a puppeteer?" Are you interested in being a part of a collaborative team of wonderfully weird humans making new work together in a supportive environment guided by professional puppet artists? And are you thirsty to see brand new works of original puppet theater from emerging artists? Well, then we've got a treat for you: the Object Movement Program at the Center at West Park in New York City. Object Movement is a program of the Center at West Park for the development and presentation of new works by puppeteers and object theater artists, curated by the incredible artistic triumvirate of Mike Okakuchi, Rowan McGee, and Justin Perkins. Since 2017, Object Movement has supported artists to develop their voices and their work, addressing eternal human questions and the urgent challenges of our society through puppetry and object theater, all culminating with an annual festival of puppet performances. Participants in Object Movement residencies and digital labs meet weekly to share the questions they're wrestling with and the discoveries they've made. Participants take turns sharing works in progress and offering and receiving peer feedback with moderation and support from the curators. Culminating in a festival of lab experiments, artists may apply with specific projects in mind or a desire to explore and experiment. A safe space for experimentation and embracing your inner—I don't know. Apply for an object movement residency today. For more information on upcoming showings and residency applications, please visit www.centeratwestpark.org/object-movement. That's centeratwestpark.org. Backslash object dash movement. Drink the puppet Kool Aid. Move some objects. Object movement. The puppet pod. We are back with an incredible 
artist friend of mine is Leah Ogawa. Leah, we were just talking over the break how like sometimes it feels difficult to like talk about ourselves in all these different ways. And you're even mentioning how, you know, it's difficult to talk about how identity works into so much of what you do, but it really is a part of our work as artists. And I'm curious for you, like, how does that translate to what we do as puppeteers, which, you know, so much of what we try to do is, as you mentioned earlier, is be invisible. Right. You know, we try to be secondary and the object becomes primary or whatever that is. And then when we have to try to articulate in a grant or even in a piece of work that we're making, what it is that we're working on, what it's about, what we're trying to say with the work, it can often be... A little bit difficult. So I wonder if maybe you could talk about that process of being a puppeteer and trying to be unseen. Right. And then those moments where we have to step forward and actually be seen and, and talk about our ourselves in, this, in these ways. Be yeah. Seen. Yeah. And yeah, to put it into words or to put it into language is a challenging part that I'm working on. And I think the reason why I like puppetry is because you are manipulating, animating, bringing this object to life. But then if you see amazing puppeteer perform, they are together, you know? Mm -hmm. So you kind of, you, yes, you know that they're there. The puppeteer is there, puppeteer is there, but you see them together as a one thing. And that is, there's so much layer in that. Like, I am I the puppeteer? Am I not the puppeteer? My emotion is transcending to the object, but is the object emotion coming to me? And so there's a lot of duality that comes through puppetry. And then for me, there is a lot of duality that comes from my own experience mm -hmm. and feeling like being other. Yeah, yeah. So that idea and that feeling is inside of me or I know how that feels. So so for me, I think the there is so many connections to why I'm so attracted to puppetry or maybe yeah. it's just maybe I'm trying to connect these <laughs> two things, like who I am and the puppetry thing, you know, together. But yeah i so my body of work does focus on this otherness of when when can we see and not see what are you actually seeing and what you're imagining you know so there's a lot of internal image that we um at least i see of myself but mm -hmm. then the in the outside world how they view me and so there's a lot of thing that like puppetry is like sneaking into, you know, the audience's mind. Like, am I seeing the puppeteer or am I seeing the puppet's perspective? Or am I supposed to see, like, am I supposed to believe that world? You know, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of like imagination and trust that goes to the audience because I'm using object as a form instead of, you know, saying, hi, I'm the king. Right. You know, so, so, so there's a, this thing that I love saying because somebody told me this story and I always say it. How if you see an actor on stage 
and he has a big like a fancy coat you know you kind of and then he's mm-hmm. sitting on the throne you know you assume that he's a king but then change the scenario and you tell the audience hey this water puddle is the king like imagine that and how that world is built and i think there there is it's the funny part about puppetry that whatever the world is you built on top of it and you allow the audience to come in to that world and and for me i use my body parts i don't know why but i'm i like the visual sense of skin mm. people's skin i like body parts <laughs> i like body parts you know like, <laughs> i like to mold i like to mold body parts you know i'm learning as i write these grants why i make these things because i just make it and i explore with movement that's like why that's how i work yeah it sounds like that improv thing that you yeah, were talking about yeah exactly so i you know i i love improvising so i love working with dancers choreographer who say okay leah now explore with this paper um then i go crazy <laughs> because i'm like oh fun it's like a playtime i can keep moving with the paper i don't know why but i make these body parts and i move with them and constructing and deconstructing what we see and what we don't see what can we see and like there's a lot of thing of like i was thinking as i write this grant i was like you know covid and what's happening everything is just you know what i should be doing versus who like how i am you know how people are looking at me versus you know there's a lot of thing that comes in inside of you and mm-hmm. so i try to answer that through my art yeah yeah it sounds like you're doing a really amazing job of doing that leah and i appreciate the sentiment or this idea that you're also discovering about a lot of what these projects are after you make the objects yeah like you said you were molding your body parts for a piece because you just like mm-hmm. the way that they look you like the way that they move you're interested in the image mm-hmm. yeah. um but then how you start to stack these images on top of one another or these different ways of moving on top of one another mm-hmm. they create things and then we have to explain to people what those things are and yeah. when we're making them in the moment sometimes we're just drawn to the image or we're drawn to the movement because it right. feels right and they look interesting next to one another but then when we have to articulate that for someone so they can hopefully decide to give us some money to keep working on them um that can be hard but yeah like the practice of doing it i think yeah. really helps teach us as artists totally and i still remember dan hurlin's first class when he was like okay this is just a paper but then you're going to crumble it up and now move it as if it has two legs two arms and the head 
and there's a lot of things in that image that people start to explore and then for me i'm like what can just one object do you know like how can you really move and how can you really think and so there's a lot of there's a lot of secret uh, not secrets there's a lot of element to object that you don't know until you move with it and i think that's where i i love finding these surprise moments mm -hmm. in my pieces that i'm like ooh, this can look this way if i move it like this yeah yeah so playing around with people's imagination and surprises yeah 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 i i i always make sure I got to surprise somebody and be like, how did she do that? Um, yes. I, I appreciate theater that has surprise in it. And uh, as a person that sits and watches a lot of theater, when I have to wonder to myself, how did they do that? I don't know how they did that, but it was really affecting and I appreciated it. And I either don't understand how it was technically achieved or... You know, there was something in design that I can't quite figure out or yeah. in movement. Like, well, how did they do that? Like, that yeah. is what gets me. So I think we feel similarly in that regard, for sure. And puppetry, I feel like, is really good at surprise or yeah. allowing for those sorts of moments. Mm -hmm. And I think the work that me, I don't know, from the work I do is mostly nonverbal. So then it's like, how can I, because I'm interested in trying to tell more the emotion instead of directing the emotion to words. Mm -hmm. So how can I do that in a abstract form? And that kind of becomes a little bit complicated because I don't want people, you know, some people see more abstract art, so they kind of go into it more easily. And some, you know, look at it and say oh this is too complicated i don't understand so how can i you know if i make something personal for me and show the personal side in that story in the movement of my mm. story structure i feel like there is a way of telling a story nonverbal, and it is for me i think it's powerful so and so much of puppetry at least with a lot of the people that you and I both work with, yeah, they rely less on the words. And do mm -hmm. you think it's because, or perhaps one way is because the words tell the audience maybe what to think versus allowing a puppet's movement to be more open for the audience to try to figure out what it means? Right. Yeah, and I think also... It's like um, allowing their their interpretation so they can write their own stories and emotions. And I think objects or any puppet, when people look at it, there is already a sentimental or like a already uh, emotion that comes with that. Mm -hmm. So so they it, so it's the story is told by the the puppeteer and everybody performing but the interpretation is on them to to write their own story um so i think that is a you know yeah yeah we invite the audience to do a little bit of work almost yeah 
and it's more personal, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because you gotta experience through your feeling and your memories,、um, and then you connect in a different way. I love that so much, Leah.、Um, is there any particular piece right now that you are、um, working on, or、um, I, obviously you were going to bring that one to Ida?、Um, yeah. That didn't quite happen.、Um, But、um, is that kind of the the main、uh, piece that you're working on aside from the daily,、um, daily. <laughs> yeah, the daily、um, animations、motion. you're making? Yeah. Yes.、So, Could you tell us about that piece? Oh, the growing, not dying. Yeah. So I'm actually doing two at the same. Well, I'm just applying to a bunch of things, <laughs> and so one I applied that was called molting. Which was my first show that I did. Briefly, I talked about how I molded my body parts, and that was about double identity or what is seen, what is not seen, what you know, images of our body deconstruction, constructing, and whatnot. And that was called molting. And then, so I'm applying for those things. And then another one is called growing, not dying. And.、Um, And then growing not dying is、um, I made this puppet that is life size, and、uh, it's only the torso, so the head, the upper body, and the arm, and the puppet is sitting on a table, and it's all white、um, paper mache, and the story is actually about my my mother is a caretaker of my grandmother. Who is ninety eight point five? Wow! So congrats you know, to your grandma. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, my grandma, my mom, my grandma's doing really well. Good.、Um, Good. And so I was inspired. Not you know, I was talking to my mom about being a mother, being a care,、uh, being a mother to me, but being a daughter to the grandma, and then the as a caretaker, and and then a.、Uh, All of those things that comes to your mind, and you know, my grandma would say, "Oh, today I'm ready to go. You know, today I want, I'm okay. I can leave this world." But then, that's when she has the bad days. But when she has a good day, she's okay. You know,、mm-hmm. say, "I'm so thankful for the life I have." So then I started to think about how we talk about death to our family. And I wanted to create a story that talked about death, and so the title is called "Growing, Not Dying," because essentially the character that I created, she dies, but when the she, so again I, because I'm obsessed with skin and peeling off skin, <laughs> I thought about like if one person loses an eye. Or a mouth that they can't talk anymore, they can't smell anything, like their nose fall off. Like, what does that feel like? What does that represent? So then I made this puppet that's paper mache, and you can kind of peel off the face of the parts, so the eyes will kind of fall off, the nose, the mouth, and then eventually,、um, my whole idea is、uh, these nature comes out of the body parts. Yeah, yeah. So, but again, I'm saying it 
like it makes sense, but visually it's a really minimal set. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit abstract in that way, but I'm working on those two shows at the same time right now. And, and those two shows are the only ones I've made so far. Um, besides, oh, I've been doing puppet slams on Zoom. Yeah, I've uh, we, we've heard you've been <laughs> yeah. uh, doing some stuff with La Mama as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm curious, because of La Mama is a similar connection for you and I, because I think we both are taking that Dan Hurling class at Sarah Lawrence at the same yeah. time. And we both took uh, a class at Sarah Lawrence where we got to go and see so shows La at La Mama. Yeah. Um, every other week and then we came back and we talked about them with the weird and wonderful Ernest Abuba <laughs> and um, I'm curious if you feel like those experiences of seeing these really sometimes very abstract pieces at La Mama um, helped influence a little bit of the work that you're making now? Oh yeah totally I think so when I saw I love La Mama and the La Mama family and they've been so supportive of my work. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And also, yeah, I before going to college, I don't think I've seen, you know, experimental theater. And so coming to New York and seeing La Mama and, oh, it was pretty powerful. I mean, I have to say some shows, you know, you question, what was that? I don't, yep. what was the point of that? And <laughs> yeah, you yeah. kind of question why, but then you see other shows that make, that makes you feel so much of your emotions and you kind of, that may, that pushes me to, yeah, totally. I'm, and also I think I'm so um, influenced by the people I work with. Um, yeah. Like, and you know, in a way that all the people I work for mainly that's puppetry that doesn't use words. Yeah. Uh, people who kind of does movement with puppetry. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm totally influenced by what all the artists in the theater I see and yeah. Yeah, I feel similarly, uh, especially with the, the Lake Simons and the Tom Lees and the Dan Herlins and the... Corey Sensei's, Corey uh, Sensei, that, everybody, you yeah, know, <laughs> that we've all been so lucky to work with together. Um, yeah. yeah, they're all in there. They're all in there somewhere. And they've kind of built, you know, these, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say we're disciples, but we are the products of uh, all of these experiences and what we're making, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, all these other things that we're also trying to explore uh, within ourselves. So um, we're going to take another quick break and then uh, we'll be back with more Leah Ogawa. Sarah Stabley. Joshua Rice. You are from Perry, New York. Is that correct? That is correct. Our hometown. Our hometown. And what is our hometown known for? Having 800 cows for every one person. More cows than people. That's right. But what else? Um, ooh, the Silver Lake Sea Serpent. That's true. We do have a sea serpent myth. But what else? Um, sometimes the air smells like cookies because we have a cookie factory in town. That's right. And then because of the cows, some days it smells like cow shit. But what else? Um... 
Well, we have a lot of bars. And we have even more churches. Yes, people do love to drink and love Jesus at the same time. But Sarah, what else? Um, oh, we have a Carnegie Library. Oh my god, Sarah. No, it's the Silver Lake Brewing Project. Right, 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 right. SLBP. That's right, that's right. SLBP, which is our very own craft brewery here in Perry, New York, which just so happens to be the closest brewery to Lecheret State Park, the Grand Canyon of the East. So if you decide to go for a hike and see some of the gorges or any of the amazing waterfalls, then after you see all of these things, hike on over to the Silver Lake Brewing Project where you can try any one of their rotating selection of 11 craft beers specializing in Belgian and classic American craft styles. Sarah, that's like witchcraft, but beer, beer craft. Which is better. It is better. No one's being burned alive at the stake when you go to the Silver Lake Brewing Project. Sarah, what kind of beer craft is really tantalizing your taste buds? Right now, uh, it's definitely the Saisons. They're incredible. I would say the same for any one of their sour beers. They also have incredible IPAs and a classic Western New York cream ale. And you can come and have these beers in the tap room, which is an incredible place to visit. That was once a horse stable, and before that, a silent movie house, Sarah. Think of it. Buster Keaton riding a horse. With beer. That's right. Who wouldn't want to watch that silent movie? But if you feel like maybe you want to stay more socially distant, these beers are also available for curbside pickup, or you can sit outside on their patio and enjoy the sunshine and sip a tasty craft beer. So, Sarah... Perry, New York, is famous and getting more famous by the glass. Because we have a podcast. Well, maybe one day, Sarah, a podcast about puppetry. That's right. We're going to make it big. We're going to put the town on the map with this podcast, Sarah. But the Silver Lake Brewing Project is already helping. Check them out at www.silverlakebrewingproject.com. The Puppet Pod is produced in collaboration with Dixon Place, whose virtual programs are free and participating artists are remunerated. That's right, artists getting paid to do what they do even during a pandemic. Donations help us bring together visionary artists and adventurous audiences and support the community during this challenging time. So if you like what you are listening to in the Puppet Pod, please consider making a gift to dixonplace.org. Dixon Place's puppetry programs, including Puppet Block, Mine by Sheena Stripe, and New Money by Maria Camilla, are made possible in part with generous support from the Jim Henson Foundation and donors like you. Thank you. The Puppet Pod. And we are back with Leah Ogawa. Uh, Leah, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing with us. You have a really interesting day job that I don't think a lot of other puppet people have. Maybe you don't consider this your day job, but it's another big part of the work that you do. Could you tell us a little bit about this? Do you know? Do you know what I'm referring to? The mannequin. <laughs> that you're a mannequin. I don't know what that is, actually, but tell know. me about I that. Don't know. I was referring to your work as a model, oh, I... that you work in fashion and uh, you're a model. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I shouldn't say. Okay, uh, tell sorry, me I what? shouldn't say. <laughs> I shouldn't say. No, literally, I it's interesting you... because 
<laughs> I was right. So okay. So my partner helped me. You know, is husband helping me writing these grants and all that. And then we were like, how can we say, you know, that I also model? <laughs> and so one of the words were like mannequin. So I was like, oh, I mean, I am obsessed with body parts or body images. I wonder why. Anyway, so anyway, that's why I said mannequin. Um, yes, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a model. Um, I'm a mannequin. I'm a mannequin. <laughs> no. I love that. <laughs> I. Yeah, I guess. So I've been doing it since I was in high school. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. But you know, the way I started was my. So I went to a performing arts school in Boston, and then I studied theater. And one of the theater teacher knew the casting director that had a modeling agency, and so that's how I got started. But my mentor in high school was like Leah. How are you gonna go to college? I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "How are you gonna pay for it?" I was like, "I don't know." He's like, "You gonna model?" And then, <laughs> then that's how I started, because um, you know that was my my job、um, that can help support me for financially for college. And I、uh, love that. Your high school job, when most people are like working at a pizza place. Oh no, or... I worked at a Japanese restaurant before. Oh, you did. Oh, before that, okay. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, okay, I tell. But I was just gonna say the no, fact that you were a model is like a high school job. It's like so amazing and different. It's like something、yeah. you don't hear about very often. Yes, and I don't. I yeah, I guess I don't tell people much. Like I'm a model. You know, I don't say it like that, but、um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Instead, you tell them you're a mannequin, which is、yeah. even better. So good. Actually, one of my one of my favorite memories of Leah back during、um, the New York State Puppet Fest 2018 was、um, I forget what we were doing. We were doing maybe some sort of opening night cast party or something like that. And Leah comes out in this beautiful, like floral dress. It's just gorgeous. Looks amazing on her. And like all of us, like Madeline, Maggie, and I are like, Leah, where'd you get that? Like, what store did you buy it from? And we're thinking, you know, a place in New York City or something. And she's like, Oh, the thrift store right across the street from the theater in our、oh, yeah. small town. <laughs> we're all like, What? <laughs> Going over there to see if there was anything else like it. It was really funny. Yeah, I love hunting, hunting these. Raising outfits, I think I have to say I think you know one person came up to me after a show of my original piece and they were like, you know, I think I can see why you do fashion in your piece because it's really minimal and the color choices, or are, are I don't know something like that and I never connected everything and also modeling is kind of like being a Puppet or being manipulated in a way that also I'm like, huh? I wonder why I'm always, always have this kind of、yeah. mentality, and so yeah, it's yeah that that is my other part that I don't talk about, but I am for sure in, influenced by, and I do think about, I guess. Images of what we see in the magazine or what we see 
advertisement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. But I think both fields also kind of call to, you know, having a high amount of awareness for your own body and what that looks like, like you were saying before, and, and how like you're thinking about the detail of what's being presented and then the detail or the, the larger picture. I think that's kind of prevalent in both. And yeah, for from seeing how you work, it it's, they tr- at least it translates into puppetry so beautifully and it's it's really interesting. I haven't really seen much like it. Not that I'm very well versed in the puppet world. I'm more of a obviously theater person, and my background's more in tech. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how you work and how your movement is different than you know when you were working alongside Madeline, who was working alongside side Josh Marks, and just like the difference in how that is. I mean, everyone has their own unique style, but I think that's also uh, what makes yours too so unique. Yeah, and I think not that I don't know sharing this is okay or not, but I worked with this artist once, a female artist, and she was from a different country. And she said, you know, American puppeteers, they don't wear, not that this is good or bad, she said, um, they don't wear makeup or look presentable while performing puppet show. Why is that? And I was like, oh, and she's like, you are being seen even though you're not, mm-hmm. or even though you say you're not, you're not, mm-hmm. that focus is on the puppet. And um, so this artist said that, and I was like, oh. And, and I, that's, there's another layer to this whole conversation, but I was like, well, I, I guess like, it, it does matter um, that you are being seen to the audience, but then does it really, like how, what is presentable? Like what is, what is beautiful in one, you know, the image of beauty is so different from each person's eye. I think some people prefer puppeteers being still, you know, so you can solely focus on the puppet and other people are like, no, like move with the puppet because you're moving it with it. And then other puppeteers are like, no, go away, completely out. You know, so the puppet is like the only thing you see. So I think what is seen and not seen is like a really big thing in terms of personal style, but also what you like. And yeah. That's amazing. Leah, I want to ask about one more thing before we wrap things up, but you're kind enough to offer your services as a translator for the festival in 2018 for Koryu-san. And again, Koryu-sensei is a native Japanese speaker. He has some English, but when he's being interviewed for the radio, for example, which is what you were helping with on one occasion among many others, um, you were there as a translator for him in this kind of real-time interview. So I'm curious for you, like, what was it like to remember seeing him when you were very young, if you remembered that, to then, you know, being on stage in a show with him to then be translating for him? And I know that there's probably like a lot of levels and layers uh, to that because of what you were alluding to earlier, um, the the ways that you have to be very respectful with what you do and just wanting to make sure that you represent this 
elder, if we could call sensei that in some ways, with as much respect as possible. So I'm, I'm curious for you, like what that experience was like to try to represent him as clearly and authentically as possible. Right. I mean, translation is a, it's, uh, you know, it goes into so many emotions, like how do I, direct translation is not accurate. You know, sometimes when people are speaking, there's subtle emotional um, feeling that comes with sentences. And the way Japanese people say certain things, maybe it's not that direct, but there's an undertone to what they're saying. And so I don't remember him performing in my elementary school, but every time, so I think I'm really lucky that I know Koryu Sensei personally. Mm-hmm. And before I, like, since we both started working for Tom Lee, I was always translating for whenever Tom needed something. So I was already kind of getting used to being comfortable around him. And because English mm-hmm. words sometimes is more casual in the conversation. And so translating, I mean, but you know, he makes it so easy for me to translate, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. He's so funny, he's so light. He is, you know, he takes in the audience really well. So I just go with his his emotion and momentum. And I and I have to say sometimes, you know, when I translate, it's not the best. But if I if I get his feelings and his jokes correctly, I feel like that is the part that he would like people to get and yeah. the message to come across that, you know, hey puppetry like let's have fun let's let's enjoy this art form and let's learn about it and so yeah in that sense he makes it easy for me so I'm I'm just lucky to know him and able to translate for him yeah it's sounds like a little bit too it's yes you want to try to be as accurate as you can with the words but you're also translating uh like the essence of a person, you know, and like you were describing when you can get the jokes right and how light he is about this thing that has been his entire life and, and try to get that across to people that he is very serious, but also he's very lighthearted about it. And, and that is a true um, delight about him. But I, I, I can also imagine too. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't know is it's in puppet language or especially Japanese puppet language some of those words are very different when translated to English and I can imagine that's also being a bit of a challenge Mm, you mean like theater terms yeah or even like technical puppetry terms oh I I don't know I know like the way you say stage left like I learned theater (laughs) in 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 america yeah yeah before that i didn't study art in japan yeah. so so for that part yeah i have to i had to know what he was saying in terms of yeah, yeah. i didn't know and all of these terms 
um yeah sometimes i don't know so i kind of have to ask him and be like oh, <laughs> what are you gonna say because certain words i don't even know how to translate or what that yeah, means yeah 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 and so that is always i'm learning new words in that form um but also on the down time like he will talk to me in japanese about like certain things and that is something also that i like i mean he's uh, nice to everybody but there's moments that i'm like oh i'm so glad i asked him this because he's giving me an insight to to something i didn't look at yeah yeah that's really incredible um and you've been able to go back to hachioji and do some work with him in schools yeah oh well in the studio when they yeah um, every summer they have a they teach young kids make puppet 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 head the face or the cart the cart they make so one a few years ago i joined them for the whole summer session that's so fun can you describe what you mean by the cart for our listeners who don't know yes so the cart well josh help me too <laughs> sure sure uh, the karma ningyo form like you were talking about dolls earlier so ningyo translates to doll yeah mm-hmm. or or puppet we could say yeah and then the kurama is um the cart or a car cart. yeah so kuruma literally is translated to cars car driving car Boo-boo. And then, but for this way, it's because the human is on top of that cart. So I think that's why the driving, the the puppet, or you're driving, uh, moving the cart to move the puppet. Yeah. So then the puppeteer sits on that cart and then, ex- uh, well, yes, you guys puppeteer. know better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do we do some sitting. That's true. <laughs> I should say it clear. So the, there's a cart and you sit on the puppeteer sits on the cart and the puppet's feet is connected to the puppeteer's feet. And um so the whole reason why they started this tradition is because Bunraku again, we started with three puppeteers. And then back in history they were like the arts it was not it was expensive to do these shows and Kodyu sensei's what a great 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 grandpa grandfather said there is a way to maybe invent a new way that we can be more affordable but still continue this tradition of storytelling so then they invented this cart and I think there is a different step that came before. Like they tried to make the puppet smaller, or not smaller, but they tried different things. But the conclusion was they made this cart. So the puppeteer sits and one puppeteer can manipulate the one puppet. Yeah, yeah it was just so, I, I remember hearing that same thing. It was just so expensive to have like a, a story with, 10 puppets which then had 30 puppeteers and it's just not affordable to tour that way but if you could have one person on one puppet then maybe you could tell these stories with as much scale but less people and thus Kermaningyo uh began in Hachioji your hometown yes 
<laughs> well, Leah, uh, it's been incredible having you here. And before we go, um, I wanted to uh, ask you a series of questions. We're working on the name of it still. We call it the Puppet Hot Pot. The Puppet Hot Pot. We're going to ask you a, a series of quick questions and uh, just come with your, your fastest response, whatever is at the top of your head. Okay? Okay. Okay, here we go. First thing, what is your favorite form of puppetry right now? Object movement. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And and the only reason we're laughing, I think, is because you <laughs> you can see all of the pressure in your face. <sighs> well, we're on a Zoom call. The people can't hear this, but we're on a Zoom call so we can actually like see each other. And you look so like, oh no, I have to come up with an answer. Like, so much pressure so i'm sorry if it felt that no, way no, no. i appreciate the answer um okay here we go ready for another yeah okay what is the most interesting or fun place that puppetry has taken you in your travels around the world Ooh. um uh, that's oh so hard yeah. um Ooh, I have to pick one right away. Uh, the pup. Oh. <laughs> Vietnam? Ooh, Vietnam. Very nice. Yeah, I've never been there. Um, but they have their own amazing, like, water puppetry. Water puppet, right? yes. And I saw them, and my friend lives there. So I was, she was able to translate for me. And they were like, Leah, whenever you become big, you're going to invite, you're going to invite us. And I say, one day, one day, <laughs> one day, yeah. one, one day. day. Uh, amazing. Uh, what is like the next thing in fashion that you think is going to become like really popular or uh, important? Uh, are you in terms of like clothing? Yeah. Fashion yeah. that way? Yeah. Um, import. Uh, well, like, do you I know any trends right now? or things that you think are gonna like become like yeah uh, i think gloves for sure gloves <laughs> and people are doing gloves and then jewelry over it oh but i think that's what we've seen so let me think about the trend that's coming the trend that's coming is we all wear like our no i don't have a trend i don't know <laughs> I was so excited for what that could have been. I know, I was very excited. Um, Leah, what's like one of your favorite snacks right now? Oh, yes, these Trader Joe's, uh, these fishies, this jelly, gel, chewy, chewy gel. Oh. You know, this chewy, it's a fish, it's a fish, I don't know the, I don't know the name. Is it a candy? But it's a fish. Yeah, it's a candy. Oh, sorry. It's oh, okay. <laughs> it's a candy, and it's full of fishes, oh, okay. creatures, and it's like a gummy, but it's more chewy. Oh, it's oh. like Swedish fish, but kind of, but it tastes better. I thought maybe you were describing like one of those uh, Japanese treats oh. that's kind of like chewing gum, but it's actually like a clam, like clam. dried clams, and you chew yeah. on them but they're very um 
uh, salty, <laughs> not and sweet. I love those. Those are my favorite Me too. too. But it smells bad. <laughs> they definitely no, have a, a different smell, for sure. Yeah. Um, what is one of the most memorable theater or puppet projects that you've worked on? Uh, worked on. I say, ooh, so many. I've been lucky. Only one? I can only pick one? You could pick, you could pick two, you could pick three. Oh, oh. But you know, I always, there's so many. I cannot yeah. choose. But I have, uh, I guess... Uh, the project I was working on before COVID was Phantom Limb, 69 oh. South. And that was an experience that I never felt as a puppeteer. That's because you were uh, puppeteering on stilts, right? On stilts. And I was, re- I think, at least three feet uh, to two and a half away from the ground. And... Um, I never used a marionette before, so that was like a challenging and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we interviewed Rowan McGee, um, as well, and he also has worked on that show and was talking about the challenge of puppeteering from above on stilts. Yeah, Rowan was so good to to support us and direct us and that's when i realized if you don't feel comfortable you have to obviously say something but there's so much tendency of like no i can do it no i can do it and but it's like no if you are way up there you have to say no because you will fall down you know there's like (laughs) like in your head it makes sense but when you're in the adrenaline is kicking and you want to do a good job sometimes you forget so that was a nice uh yeah rehearsal process that i went through and uh you are currently working um or you were before uh covid um at on madama butterfly at the met oh yes oh my gosh i need to say that Hello. I completely I was like what kind yes that was incredible I have to say I feel lucky that I I studied with them and you know hearing so much insight with um with Kevin Augustine and Tom Lee but everybody was so nice and to yeah that was a to be part of the Met organization and the family was like uh yes that was big yeah there's no um i don't think i've ever seen a bigger proscenium in any theater in my life than when i first went to the mets it was it's just so gargantuan um well leah thank you so much for your time today um i I was so excited and again in one of our breaks you were like oh man i don't know why you want to talk to me and i was like leah um the reason i was so pumped to be able to talk to you is i think i've known you when i first started really getting into this world Mm -hmm. of contemporary puppetry and dance class and at sarah lawrence and we started working on shows together and you were just always such an open and excited collaborator and you were interested in exploring ideas that sometimes were not the most obvious choice Mm -hmm. and to have you in a room and to be able to always get your feedback on something or your ideas about how to make something better, I always found to just be so exciting and 
lovely to have you uh, in the room and be a part of. And uh, you're also very, very funny, which I think people uh, heard a little bit about today. Um, so I, I'm just so happy, 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 happy to know you and have worked on so many things with you and hope that we can continue to do more in the future. Yes, thank you, Josh. And thank you, Sarah. The Puppet Pod, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Additional editing by Josh Marks. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Forgolzia. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com.